Welcome back to the flip side, folks. Galen Clavio here. Brian Moritz here as well. Brian, another episode. We were, we had, there was a restraining order put on us by Botchko's lawyers that uh, kept us from recording the first couple of days of the week. But you know, you know what they say about lawyers? They they can't keep a good man down. And so we're yeah. back uh, and ready to go. Good to talk to you. How you doing? I'm doing, doing good. good. Yeah, yeah, you know, we, we got, got cocky. We beat Cop Rock. We were we were talking a big game, and then the uh, the gods responded by taking your internet out for two days. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm welcome back to the world of the living. What was it like being internet? So, how wired and plugged in is your home? Like, are you okay? Cord card? Did you have no TV or anything? Like, yeah, no, no TV. Uh, just just you know, basically lived in what's become. It's funny when you cord cut. You learn things, and one of the things that I think my wife and I have learned is that we don't watch that much television. And okay. uh, you know, now you know I've got the little Verizon Jetpack thing. I mean, that's not an advertisement for Verizon. I would never think of doing such a thing. <laughs> and if I if I did, I would advertise a much better company. But um, but you know, it's like I could I, I was able to get on the internet and. You know, check email, and and actually the jetpack puts out a pretty good signal. But you know, as far as like actual nuts and bolts, like day to day living, I've got to be honest with you, man. I I just it doesn't bother me as much as it, as it would have like even five years ago. And you know, I've I've kind of gotten to the point like you know, so when we cord cut, you know, you do you have some TV options. So we like we we're subscribers to Sling TV. Okay. Which, you know, you get like a, it's about 30 channels and it's, you know, it's a lot of like the stalwarts on the basic cable cap packages. We don't really watch them that much. I mean, I watch ESPN some, but we're, you know, we're in that fortunate, you know, uh, interregnum, uh, you know, between major sporting events. Although the Stanley Cup playoffs just started tonight and, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm having trouble with my NBC live, uh, sports app so i haven't been able to watch any of the games so far okay that's that's a that's probably that's my second favorite sporting event of all of them is the stanley cup playoffs oh, absolutely yeah. but uh but other than that don't really feel like i've missed a whole lot uh i've been fine uh, you know we're doing some demo work on the house right now we're putting some new flooring in so that's kind of okay. that's been all kinds of entertainment but uh oh, sure but yeah, you know, honestly, if if, uh, if I had to, if they just said, "Hey, no TV for a month tomorrow," I'd be like, eh, "Okay, no big deal." Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this, um, you know, while we were waiting to see when your internet would get fixed and when we could record. Because I've been thinking a lot. I was thinking a lot because we're cord cutters too, and so we'd be without entertainment and stuff. And you know, we have cell phones and you know smartphones, so we'd be able to like check email and you know keep up with basic world events and stuff like that. But I was Thinking, like, up until a few months ago, we had a thermostat in our house, and one of those, you know, a smart, programmable, internet-heavy, basically, when you hear about the Internet of Things, the NASA is a real part of that. And we had, when we had, our, we had a new, uh, a new furnace put in, and we had to take it out and have an old dump thermostat put in because, ironically enough, the the new the new furnace is not compatible with the Nest um, wiring and you know technical, technical issues, and we're trying to figure that out. But, 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 but 
Uh, I was thinking about, about how you didn't you know, your, your internet, internet was, like, out, and, like, out, out. Not, not just, just, like, you know, oh, the internet's a little bit down, like, cord severed yes. out. Yes. And, and I was thinking, like, if we, you know, if you, you think, think about, about the internet of things, things and, like, you know, would, 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 would we have heat if our internet went down? And it's such a crazy thing to think about. And, you know, I'm sure there are redundancies built in. I'm not sure how that works. But it is so kind of, you begin to see how in a lot of ways we become so... Or and we're becoming so dependent on the on the, this, this interconnectedness, these technologies, and they're not as you know one thousand percent failsafe as like you know the water going out or electricity, something like that. So it's just interesting to think about. You know, obviously, you know, you can live without the internet. It's not like running water, but you know, it is amazing to think about how. You know, interconnected, all these kind of systems are becoming. It's I call it the Fukushima syndrome. You know, because okay. it's like, uh, you know, they were like, you know, if uh, if there's a if there's an earthquake, we can handle it. You know, the nuclear reactors will be fine because they're built in these you know special containers. What they weren't planning on was a flood that you know basically inundated the building and rendered everything that uh that all the fail saves basically useless or or some sure. you know and it's like yeah, look i have i have mixed thoughts on this because on the one hand yeah it, it is frightening to think it's like having a car you know like I, my first car was a 76 chevy caprice and nice. that thing was about as analog as you could get i think the only electronics in it were the uh, the automatic windows and <laughs> um you know, and and you need you know if that car broke, you get a wrench and you get uh, you know whatever the part is, and you you're able to fix it. And now you know, I mean, even I have a I have a Dodge Ram, and even that is like you know overfilled with technology, and and one thing breaks, and it's like okay, truck's not moving again. Right. Um, but it's like okay. I get why that's scary, but by the same token, it's like, well, what, the alternative is not progressing technologically. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, and it's not like, like you, know, you know, I'm you know, thinking, thinking about that. It's not like I'm advocating going back to, um, you know, I, I think of like the furnace in a Christmas story where it just smokes throughout the house and then clanging, and that's like, hey, that's a normal furnace, you know, I, 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 and, and, you know. The fact that we basically make our living and do this fun thing because of this internet that we're also decrying that is scary. No, that's right. It's just interesting to think about as as more of our lives become kind of dependent on it, and more of our lives like on a basic level, like running the heat and lights in your house, not just you know communication and entertainment, but kind of like more more day to day functions become connected to it. It's just you know interesting to think of how much our that infrastructure is maintained and upgraded and, you know, fixable. Well, I, my only hope is that you have heat and I have internet from this point moving forward. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, as, as we were wanting to do before we get to our topic of the day, what's the, uh, what's the uh, your choice tonight? Well, we're going with the clown shoes, um, what is it, the, the Mexicans, or the... I just finished it actually, and I, of course, stupidly put the bottle away. Okay. The, the, it's a chocolate stout. I think it's the 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 Mexican sombrero was the name of it. Um, okay. And it's actually, you know, it's funny. I, I've I've had 
good chocolate stouts. I've had average chocolate stouts. It's a pretty good one overall, although it doesn't. Uh-huh. It's not. It's it 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 advertises itself as a Mexican style chocolate stout, which I guess means not particularly chocolatey. More like okay. more like hints of chocolate rather than uh, an actual like punch you in the face. Uh, you know, there's there's one beer I really like, and it's it's hard to get. Um, but it's it's a, it's called Shake Chocolate Porter. It's by this. Uh, brewery in colorado and that stuff okay. tastes like a damn chocolate milkshake i mean it really it really does it's it's delightful um all right but uh no the the the, the uh the it's the the clown series mexican sombrero is actually it's actually pretty good i would advise it if you like stouts okay. i am going with the uh, southern tier brewing company one buffalo which is, is a beer they put out southern tier obviously favorite of the, of the program, program. Based uh, down in Chautauqua, New York, Jamestown, Chautauqua, New York. And yes. they put this out. This is a, let's see, it is brewed with two varieties of all hops and three types of malt. So I think it's, it's somewhere south, somewhere kind of north of an IPA. Um, just, you know, a good, solid weekday workday beer. That's like good. Nothing, yeah, nothing too, nothing too, um, it's, it's going to sound, sound like I'm damning it with faint praise. Nothing, nothing too notable about it, nothing too fancy about it, but just a nice, solid end-of-the-day beer. Which... Kind of a, kind of like the Wayne Corbett of beers. Yes, absolutely. Gritty, gritty. Um, okay. Let's see. Work, work, work hard in practice. I, did, I, never no. said, I never said gritty. That was your word. Okay, quit, quit, quit. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, quit. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the beer is very smooth. smooth. Um, mm-hmm. From Wayne, smooth Wayne, Wayne Corbett. Corbett. Um, there you go. There we go. So, since our last show, and Stephen Bosco cut your internet, let's see, we've had, I think we had the NCAA final. I think our last show was recorded Yes. Right for that game, so uh, probably where do you rank that game in the uh, in your pantheon of games that you've seen? Oh, jeez, uh, of all the games that I've seen, or just okay? okay let's, let's go to the NCAA. NCAA. Let's, let's go Final Four games for that. So. You know, it's interesting because most most games, most Final Four, like not the title game, most Final Four games are not memorable. Like, right. like you, I can count on one hand the memorable Final Four games. Like, I, there was obviously. Duke beating UNLV in '91 uh-huh. uh, in the Final Four. There was Indiana beating UNLV in '87. That was a hell of a game. There was, um, you know, there were a couple of others, I guess, that kind of stood out. But most of the time, the, the games are either just forgotten because whatever happened afterwards overshadowed them, or they were forgotten because they sucked, which is exactly what happened this year with the Final Four. But uh, title game wise, if I'm just restricting it to title games, it was. It was a really good game. I mean, some people were calling it the best title game ever, which no. Um, okay. Yeah. It, it was good. It was. It was certainly a very well played game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was better than 08, You know, the Memphis uh, Kansas game. Right. It was better than 03, the Syracuse Kansas game. Um, you know, but I, there were a lot of really good title games in the eighties and early nineties. And, sure. And I would hesitate. Without going back and watching those games, to move this one ahead, but that's not to take anything away from it. It was a really good game. Uh, hats off to Villanova. They 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 executed their plan to perfection. Uh, North Carolina looked a bit unsteady uh, about you know at various key points in the game, and you know it was just. I thought it was fun to see. I mean, it's cool to see teams from outside of the power conferences winning titles. And right. 
you know, and it was a it was a Villanova team that wasn't stacked with pros, uh, which I don't I don't care what like too much about that, but I do in as much as it's cool to see a team that doesn't necessarily have an overwhelming talent advantage win the title. And you know, look, I, overall, I mean, it was unquestionably the most clutch shot in the history of college basketball, like right. jump, like yeah. jump shot. And then, you know, it's yeah. like there, there have been, there have been buzzer beaters in chi- in title games. There's never been a buzzer beating three right. in a title game before. And I think, I think that's, that's the, the only title game. game. And I might be wrong on this, correct, but I think, I think it's, it's the only time the ball's been in the air at the buzzer. Yeah. It's not about buzzer beaters, but I think it's the only one. And look, that's what made that so cool for me watching that was it was, you know, if, if you've, you've ever picked up a basketball and played in a gym or in your driveway, you were, that, that's, that's the situation. That's almost exactly the situation you you you, you imagine yourself in. It, the, the only the only way it's different is you're like you're you're down two instead of tied. But right. still, you, that's the one you all you know you always you always kind of go to leave the gym on the try to make the three to you know three two one throw it up and have it go in and on the heels of the. Uh, I'm blanking on who took the shot for Carolina. That crazy three to tie it. That was I mean, Marcus, just, Marcus Page. Marcus Page, that's, that's right. Thank you. I mean, I mean that, that was just, you know, you know, it's, it's one of those games that I think was, was very good. You know, you know is it, it the, the best to kind of get into the semantics and kind of get into, you know, you know, you know, kind of more personal preference. But what was nice about that game for me was it was a great finish to a very good game. It wasn't like I think the away game was a great finish to a knock. It was a great finish. It was, it, was a, it was a silk hat on a bit of a pig, yes, absolutely. Exactly, yeah. It wasn't a great game, but it was a great finish. And so it's a dramatic, fun finish. This was a great game and a great finish. Um, so, um, yeah, that was a really, a really satisfying end to, to, to a really good tournament. I think a really fun, entertaining college basketball tournament. Uh, and one I thought that was nice, yeah, like you said, with a little bit of winning, but nice that we could kind of appreciate it for what it was. You know, you know, a, a great, great college basketball tournament, tournament without, you know, you know so much hype on who's going pro, who from there is going to be a lottery pick, and who's going where, and all that. Just, Just nice to be able to kind of, we've, we've talked about this in um, several episodes, but uh, I'm kind of appreciating and loving college basketball for what it is. Um, oh, that was great. Hey, it was a great advertising for the sport, and I feel like because Villanova won, everybody's forgotten about it now. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's a good is, point. Which is truly stupid. If there's one thing... If there's one characteristic of people in general and sports fans in particular that I can't stand, and this is college or pro, it's people who downplay great events because the outcome wasn't memorable in terms of who they wanted to win. Like, you know, it's like when, I don't know, it, it, it seems to happen, on, you know, like with this, with We've seen it happen with with NBA Finals. We've seen it happen with. It doesn't happen that much with baseball because no one ever has a damn clue who's going to win the World Series. But right. it's just like you know. I mean, just to in, be like, hey, that was a great event. Uh, don't be like, well, okay, that was fine. But you know, North Carolina didn't win, so we're not going to talk about it anymore. I mean, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, there's always the kind of internet contrarian types that are very strong. And you know, I was waiting the next day to see. The, 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 you know, the slate take, you know, that buzzer beater, Villanova, 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 Villanova,
now online and in this in, in this digital age. Um, uh, any kind of final college basketball thoughts? Been on a running theme for uh, for the first twelve and whatever third episodes here. So any kind of Wrap-up thoughts before we move on? Uh, you know, I guess my wrap-up thought is the game was better this year than it was in past years, largely because the shot clock being shortened mm-hmm. led to more offense and therefore less defense. Yep. And I am already loathing the movement by coaches to undo that somehow by like some kind of... like. Uh, you know, rule emphasis or something that ends up creating less offense. Um, okay. You know, it, it's uh, college basketball has always been at its best when it's been at basketball in general, not just college basketball, when it's been up tempo, when teams have scored. Sure. And, you know, I, one of the cool things about this season, I think, and one of the reasons that made it so unpredictable and, and interesting was because of the amount of scoring. And now that we've got what we've got, now we get to see a lot of coaches trying to actively undermine that, and I'm already like really uh, loathing the potentiality of that. So hopefully that we can delay that as long as possible, and uh, I'm not holding out a lot of hope that that will actually be the case, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh, I agree with, I agree with you on that. So, um, so uh, my idea for our topic today was inspired by one of your Facebook posts from over the weekend, where you, when you actually had internet, before the, before the Dark Ages of 1987 descended upon the Fabio household. Um, and this was, I forget, it was either Saturday or Sunday, um, you posted about you were making, you were making mixtapes, and I, I'm assuming you, these are virtual mixtapes. You didn't actually have the double boom box out. Because if you had the double boom box out, I want in on this. Did people make mixtapes okay so here's you have to understand something first of all um before i get to the the actual question here um i don't know how normal people made mixtapes as kids because when i make mixtapes i as a kid see my my dad was kind of a a, a, an audiophile to the extreme and and we, we had all this component based um you know, audio stuff. So I actually had two, I had a tape deck and a CD player and a record player and another tape deck. And I would, I would actually like do line level inputs for the mixtapes. Of course you did. Like there was no, there was was no, like here's a crappy recording off of one boom box with the other boom box. Um, like that, that's like another world to me. So, um, not, I'm not trying to be a technological elitist. That's just kind of how it was. And, uh, that said, no, these were not those sorts of, I still have some of those mixtapes. Actually, I was packing some stuff up the other day and I I came across a bunch of my old, uh, mixtapes. I had them numbered. I, I think I was sequentially up to like, uh, like tape 78 or 79. Of course, I never made them for other people. I made them for myself to put in the car and listen to. Oh, absolutely. Right. But, but um, but yeah. So I, I I got to thinking. I used to do like album reviews on my blog, um, based upon stuff that I'd never heard before on Spotify, and no one read them, uh, which is fine. <laughs> but I was like, why? Why am I spending all this time writing these if if I'm the only one that's going to read them? And then I got to thinking, well, why not just like, why not create roughly hour long mixes of music, post them on Facebook, and if people want to listen to them, great. And maybe maybe that will expose people to music I like, and, and maybe some music that they don't know about, and mm-hmm. 
and see what goes on from there. So that's what I did. I made one. Actually, I've made two. I just haven't published that's... haven't published the second one yet. And I'm going to try to do one every week just okay. just to kind of you know throw some stuff out there. And and uh, and it's also good for me because. You know, one of the things, I, like, I have a huge, like, 1,200-song playlist on Spotify. And I use it when I drive sometimes or I use it when I run. But uh, but part of the problem with it is it's, you know, you shuffle 1,200 songs. First of all, Spotify's shuffle function is is maybe the worst thing on the planet. Like, it's, okay. it is, it is, um, I can't even think of something that's, it's worse than, than Long John Silver's. Like that's, that's how bad. No, that's, that's worse than that's worse. Right yeah, that, that's like, <laughs> that's how bad their, 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 um, their randomizer is. Uh, but you know, sometimes I just want to like have an eclectic mix of music without, you know, you know, I don't want to necessarily be listening to, um, you know, like George Clinton and then like suddenly have the Lumineers come on. Like that's not, not something that I'm wanting to connect, but sometimes that'll happen on Spotify. So I wanted to create shorter mixes of songs that, you know, either went together or at the very least were, were interesting in, in ways that would make them make the whole mix interesting to listen to. So that was the idea behind it. Yeah, I mean, when 
so when I did when I did tapes, when I started off doing mixtapes, I the one rule that I had was that you couldn't you could never have two songs by the same artist back to back unless there was a compelling reason. That, that makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. Like, right. Absolutely. Like, so like so like you can't do you really can't have like Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin without following it with Living Loving Made. Like that just that feels wrong. Even That's when I right. even when I just hear one of them on the radio, orphaned. It's like this is bad. How can this happen? Um, <laughs> you know, so like things like that, that would be a rule. Um I I would always um or not always, but no, I guess it was an always thing. When when I would make the uh the mixes. Well, first of all, when I was doing the tapes, when I was doing like cassette tapes, um, this is we're, again we're getting into like weird audiophile nerd territory. But my my dad bought me one of those DJ mixers nice. uh, at like a it was like a, you know it was used at a hi fi shop. It was like fifty bucks. He's like, well, you might find this enjoyable, and I did. It was great. So I would like fade the songs in and out oh, of each other. See, yeah, I, 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 thought I thought it was really clever. clever. I, I, I was, was not in weird audio nerd territory like yourself. I just had the boombox with the double tape deck. When, when I figured, when I remember learning that you pause yeah. the recording instead of hitting stop, you hit pause to kind of kind of make it somewhat seamless. And I thought, you know, I am at the peak of audio audio production. And um, yeah, and then you're fading, and then you're doing you're probably doing like Star Wars esque wipes on them and everything. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of cross fading. There was no. Uh, no, you know, it was fun. I enjoyed that. It was, it was like my early, early, it was like DJing for myself, basically. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, with, with in the CD era, it got a little bit different because with CDs, I, I the, the mix CD almost never was a thing because I, when I got a CD player, I actually got a six disc changer. Okay. And so it was like I don't need to make a mix because I could just put the six CDs of the, the that I want to listen to in, okay. and that, that was generally good enough for me. So like the rules kind of went out the window by that point. I didn't start making mix CDs again until like the like 2007, 2008. Wow. And then my rule was when I would make a CD, it would basically have to be full of songs that I didn't already know well. Huh. Like because I, I was using it. Because I, I realized after a while, like, I, I, I grew to love music while driving in the car. Mm-hmm. And, like, if I just threw in a CD and tried to listen to it at home, it generally wouldn't click with me for, like, months. But, but if I was listening to it in the car, I would, I would be able, I would, like, something would hook me about a song or whatever. And, um, you know, that would be the way that I would get into new artists. And so what I would do would be I would... I used to have a subscription to this service called eMusic. Do you remember that one? Uh, I, 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 I knew of it. I never had it, but it vaguely rings a bell. So it was like this was back in the early MP3 days, and you like you know for twenty bucks a month, you'd get fifty credits, quote unquote, and okay. each credit more or less represented a song. And so you could for twenty bucks, you could download you know three three and a half albums or individual songs. And so what I would do would be. I would listen just to a little bit of, of various songs on either on albums or just individually, and if it seemed like something that was going to grab my attention, I would go ahead and download it, put it on a CD, and then I would listen to it, huh. uh, bu- along with a bunch of others. And I ran, I discovered a bunch of artists that way uh, from that era, particularly like on the indie side of things that I probably wouldn't have discovered otherwise. Huh. 
<laughs> very, very neat. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's funny, funny how when I go back and listen to the, the mix CDs, how repetitive they are, and how I definitely have my go-tos. Yeah, I was the same. I was the same way. Like, yeah. It, it, so, so I'm trying, trying to remember, remember what some of mine are. Um, well, you know, in, in the mix CDs that I was making when my wife and I started dating, so this would be a lot of Jack Johnson. Uh, weirdly, on the same CDs, it'd be a lot of Green Day because we it was the American Day era Green Day. So, um, so a lot of those. Um, let's see what else was there. Um, my, my buddy's band, uh, my, my friend's band, I would always throw a, a song out there from them just right. to kind of. Um, but and what, what I loved about uh, making CDs, and I remember this is one of the things I loved about iTunes and its original kind of state. Um, you know, it was so. I love making. I, I grew to really love podcast. You know, I was always proud of the, 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 the CDs that I would make, mixes that I would make. Because I mean, for me, one of the revolutionary things about iTunes was just the, the being able to play and drag and drop and change the order of songs. You know, so you're really able to see what song fades into another, and man, is that important when you're making that? Make sure that the songs have a flow to them. That you know, that they, that they pair up well. And that was always such guesswork when making a tape. You know, I remember having the legal pad out, and like you would listen to all the songs and like figure out, okay, which one's going to go here and which one's going to go there. You got one shot. Um, we're on the, on the CD, uh, iTunes. Man, you're just able to, to drag and drop and like really like I would listen over and over to that song, the fade out of one song into the next song to make sure it was just right. I had a problem. It really did. But. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, and it's interesting to see it move to, from the mix to the play, kind of the playlist model. Now, you're a Spotify guy? Absolutely. You know, it's funny. We just kind of moved in or moving into Spotify. Um, going whole hog on it. Um, I've had an account for a while that I would listen to every now and then, but not a lot. I mean, as we've talked on here before, we're an Apple household. Um, but recently, my, my, at my wife's office, they have... Uh, I think they, they have Spotify, they have a Sonos system at, 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 their, uh, at their office. And if you don't know, Sonos is like a wireless speaker yeah, yeah. Uh, setup. Um, but also the cool thing is it ties in basically everything. So you can play Spotify through there. You can play an iTunes library, Amazon, all of them can kind of basically like a one-stop thing. And my wife recently, she did the month trial of Spotify Premium and loved it and we're keeping it now. Um, so I still have my account, which is just the free account. Um, but she has the full account. And that is, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the 20 bucks a month for 50 downloads. I mean, Spotify Premium, I haven't used it. You know, I don't know the shuffle from hole in the ground, so I can't speak to it. It's, it's quality. But like just in general, that, that ability to play, to download things, to play offline, like, you know, to discover music, to create stuff—it's really great. I'm really, I'm really liking it a lot in terms of just, and not just in terms of the discovery and the social aspect of it. Just you know, hey, I'm gonna listen to R&M today. Cool, I can listen to it. You know, I, I can put on automatically people while I'm at work, and then you know, don't have to dig it out, don't have to buy it. Um, Apple Music when it came out, um, it's just such a just a mess. It's just such a confusing. A mess of what's yours and what's Apple's and the recommended. It's just, you know, Spotify just feels better, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard that's to put it in the words. That's because it is better. Uh, hmm. And it's better than Tidal. And it's, oh, God, Tidal is a debacle. And, oh you know, God. and I mean, 
I would say I triangulate. So I, I have this. You'll shock be shocked by this. I have a, a very large music collection. Like um, <laughs> <laughs> my wife just said, an obscene musical collection. No, no, so, no, no, it's I've got. I would say at this point, I've got about six to seven hundred vinyl records. Um, I've got about four. Three or four terabytes worth uh, of music between the, the stuff that I've burned off of CDs or whatever, ripped off CDs, mm-hmm. the stuff that I've collected over the years, just purchasing, uh, the stuff that I've purchased digitally, the, the, sh- the live shows that I've downloaded, the, mm-hmm. the bootlegs I've traded for or purchased. Um, so I triangulate. Like I use Spotify probably 80% of the time because it's got. Most of the officially released stuff, and it's very convenient, and you know, it's they do a pretty good job of making everything available. Like, there's very few artists that aren't available, um, right? You know, and and you know, with the Beatles on there now, that's very helpful. I mean, Neil Young is partially on there. It's just okay. his it's just his Geffen stuff, which I think is hilarious because they're just doing it to spite him, <laughs> right? Um, you know, um, and like I think I. I don't know. I don't think Pink Floyd is on there, but I think everybody else is on there now. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I love it for uh, similar reasons that you just stated. It's not just finding your favorites, but I go through and listen to so many albums that I just wouldn't have had the money to yeah. go find and right. listen to. Um, I mean, and that's been probably the best thing ever for me because I'm, I'm always in the mood to listen to, like, for instance, like I... I started listening to a lot of Todd Rundgren about six months ago, and I, right. I, I'd, I'd heard a little bit about Todd Rundgren, but it, he just wasn't a guy that I was going to like. I'm going to go buy Todd Rundgren's albums, um, and you know, I listened to them, and I don't know if I even if I bought the albums, if I would have been like, "Wow, I'm glad I spent that money." But it's cool to be able to hear that and then move on to something else and be able to come back to it at the same time. Right, and. You know, and I and I've done that with with some artists that I you know just didn't listen to a whole lot when when they first came out, like '90s artists, like you know Matthew Sweet or nice. or Cracker or um, you know artists where you know you knew the single, but maybe you didn't invest in listening to the album, and now you get a chance to go back and listen and be like, okay, well maybe okay, I guess I was I was right in not listening to the album. <laughs> right. <laughs> or or oh god, how did I miss on this? You know, that that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because one, one of the, 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 the my, my I don't know, almost the tipping, tipping point for me using Spotify a lot was earlier this year. Uh, it was yeah, yeah, earlier we saw Martian, and obviously there's Starman by Bowie. It's prominently featured in that movie. Right. And so someone day working on break, and I, I, I called up uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars and played that album. And that, it, was, it was great because it's there. You know, I don't know if I wanted to run out and spend the money on it, but I listened to it. And it's one of those dumb moments when you realize, oh, wait a minute, that's a really great album. Like, right. of course it is. But, but it's like, wow, wow no, no, this is, this is, is you know, this yeah. is why Ziggy Stardust. Stardust. And, and it was funny because it, it was, not, not funny, but kind of ironic that it was like three days before Bowie passed. And right. I'm like, no, no I really have been, been listening to him a lot lately. But that's just a great, I like it for that too, for that kind of rediscovery of artists that like, you know, I have a line in my 
kind of your music part of that. I have a lot of Dylan. You know, I'm not going to go out by, you know, like I said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to rush out and buy a lot of Bob Dylan, but it's nice to listen to to kind of like, you know, oh yeah, Bob Dylan, you know, like I was kind of dismissed him when I was younger, and now like, 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 listen to him now, like, okay, now, yep, yep, that's it. Yeah, so, so how do you, so do you still, you know, kind of, then we'll come back to mixes, but do you still buy music? I mean, whether it's physical copies, like vinyl or stuff. CDs or, or like buy stuff, stuff through, um, you would do iTunes or Google Play or however you buy music. music. Do you actually still buy full albums or songs or are you almost 100% streaming? No, I still buy stuff. Um, oh. there, there was a, actually, it's funny. When I first got Spotify, I was like, I'm never going to buy another album again. And, and then I've discovered that that's not actually the case because, um, I, I do like, Owning a physical record, um, I actually buy a lot of stuff through Amazon Music, okay. Okay. Uh, which has which you can stream. Yeah, and also, you know, they have Amazon's got this deal sometimes where if you buy, you can buy the CD and it's cheaper than buying the digital album, but they'll give you the digital album for free. Yes. Um, Which I want, I want them, them to do, do with, with books. books. I'd love for them to do with books. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. I think, um, the, I think with the CDs, they're just doing it to get rid of inventory. Sure. Uh, but, uh, but no, I still buy music, um, you know, and, and vinyl especially. Like, I've really taken to um, purchasing vinyl on a regular basis. Um, I'm in a little bit of a lull with that now. But, I, you know, there in the fall... I would buy probably four or five albums a, a, a month, and uh-huh. and with newer artists, um, you know, if if they're artists that I really enjoy, yeah. Because now, you know, I have I have kind of a sick setup. Like I've got a a real like my turntable is like a good forty pounds. Uh, it's a big ass turn. It's it's it was my dad's and he gave it to me, and now I've got a chance to use it. I've I've still got the huge like floor standing speakers that are about you know 30 pounds each okay. uh, and i so I, I i use klipsch speakers and so i actually stack two pairs of klipsch speakers on top of each other so i have four speakers going simultaneously um, well, that's, that's, that's impressive so you know and again I, like a lot of this was just stuff that my dad collected and then when he when he died it it all came to me and i was like well i'm gonna put this to use Sure. Uh, and and it you know it's it's loud um like when you know my when my when i turn it all the way up you can't hear anything in the house uh, <laughs> which annoys the dogs quite a bit but your daughter's gotta, gotta love that, that too she does she she's a huge music fan like she uh she when you know we we would take we my wife and i would go to we went to like a rock festival we went to a couple other other shows and she'd be bouncing around inside the womb uh, to the music. And even to this day, when she's crying or she's angry, we just put music on really loud and she just shuts up and starts listening. It's nice. it's really, it's kind of cool to see, actually. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah I, it's, it's funny. funny. Like, like, I, we, we tend, tend to buy stuff, stuff now. Um, we, we have a little, little bit of a vinyl collection. collection. We're, We're not nearly the... Uh, uh, as invested in it as you are, but we, yeah, have, we have, have a growing, kind of a growing one. The, uh, the best, the best thing I have in the collection, I think, is we got George Harrison. All things, I got my wife George Harrison. All things must pass. The original, like you know, it was a, a, a gently used copy, and it was not cheap. It was a gently used kind of original copy. The the, the, the three, three album, album that is just what an album that 
is. I mean, oh, oh my God. Um, and that's, that's just a great, great one to have. Um, but yeah, yeah we, we, tend tend to, to, we tend to only buy, like, the favorite bands, like, like the stuff that we know, you know, is good, that we know we really, really want to have copies of. So, you know, the Avett Brothers have an album coming out in June. We're buying that one day it comes out. No questions asked. You know, some other bands that we really like are coming out with a... Are come out with the stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll buy it. Most of the most of the other stuff, I feel like you know, you know it's, it's such, such a funny turn and funny kind of shift in, in, in music. music. I'm sure you see this with your students too. How they they don't buy a lot of music now because everything's streamable. You know, when I would teach last year, I taught a couple sessions of media economics course we offer, and we would I would ask them about music, and the, the, and this won't surprise you. It, it doesn't surprise me now, but it surprised me at the time a little bit. Where they got most of their music and listened to most of their music was YouTube. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's, that's it's such a, a kind of a, a cultural, generational divide thing where it's, it's still kind of a thing for me to think that, you know, I'm not owning a lot of this music that I'm listening to, that I'm streaming it. You know, this is, you know, a lot of the new stuff too. I just stream it. I don't actually own a physical copy of it. Not even a, like a, uh, a, a computer, computer like a, uh, uh, a digital copy of it. Right. And, and you know, no, I, 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 feel I feel like that's, that's such a divide. I listen to some podcasts, and, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, maybe five, ten years older than we are. And you, you can, can tell them, them, you know, they're, they're, they're computer guys, guys, and they really kind of struggle with that notion of streaming being such an important part of music, the music business, and how, not just the business, but because, you know, nobody makes money off of this stuff, but how much... You know, younger, younger generation, you know, college kids and, and younger, you know, younger generations really rely on that on streaming, and that's how they get their music. They're not actually buying it. And such a flip from where it was, you know, kind of what we're used to doing. Yeah, no, and you know, I think the other thing that's important to remember is it feels like music is so much less of a cultural touchstone than it was even like a decade ago, certainly less than it was two decades ago. Like, sure. like it was such an important part. I, you know, so let me, and let me clarify this point a little bit. Like it was such an important part of your identity it was like, I like these bands Yes. and, and it's, it certainly doesn't feel that way for a lot of the youths of today <laughs> in terms of how they process music because it's and then part of this is the way music is marketed now it's so there's very few bands uh other than the legacy bands that are still out there and right. everything is so singles oriented um because you can you know if you're a company you can sell a hit single you can't really sell an album these days unless you're selling it to aficionados right or hipsters um and so, you know, it, it seems like it's created an atmosphere where, unless it's on the pop charts, it's probably not resonating with the vast majority of younger people, which I think is sad. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, because I still think there's great music that's being made out there. It's just not getting marketed particularly well. Um, and it's kind of the, it's the odd thing about the Spotify era is that, we have the Spotify era in the nineties. I probably would have flunked out of school because there would, all of them, all of the music would have been available to listen to. And I would have been just like overwhelmed in a good way. Right. Now it's like, there's all this music available, like even more now than there was then. 
and mm-hmm. and yet there's no real function for identifying it if you are just a person interested in music yeah. uh, or and, and and if you're not a person that's particularly interested in music like if it's never been something that's really gotten under your skin then you're likely to just kind of float along with whatever the top 40 station happens to be playing I mean, I, 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 I think, think that that's, that's always been the case. I mean, it's, it's always weird to kind of look at how, you know, people listen to it and identify with music, you know, coming from the perspective that you and I have of being, like, real music aficionados. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know, though, because, like, okay, let's take the 90s, for example. Like, the pop, the pop top 40 was very different from the alternative top 40. And... And yet the alternative top 40 was generally what people were listening to. I mean, they obviously had hip-hop mixed into that as well. But, like, the Mariah Carey, Janet Jackson, TLC, like, all that stuff was kind of... It was it was a separate thing from, you know, what, whatever was hitting the top of the charts. Like, well, you know, or, or was very popular at the time. It was, you know, like Dave Matthews Band or whether it was, like, Marcy Playground or, or something like that. And and I don't see that now. I really don't. Like there is there is no real alternative chart. There's there's indie rock, but but that's that's not making any no any waves. Like when when an indie rock band uh, or a non pop band has won an award, like when Arcade Fire won the Grammy right. like, best album thing a few years ago. Like the vast majority of, of people are like, who the who the hell is this? Right, same, same when that one two years, years ago for that for his right. album, which right. was an amazing right. album, by the way. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but but um, I mean, when, when I think about that, that I, I you know, know again, again this, this may be just from, from my, my, my teaching experience that I've known, of course. But I think of the, the idea of like, like, like let's take the nineties. You know, yes, we were identifying more with music. You know, there's kind of more self-identifying. I think with a particular genre. Or, or a particular type of music. Um, like you were a rock guy, you were an alternative guy, you were a country guy, um, or a gal, let's not let's be gender inclusive here. But I, I think part of that is, you know, related to the economic and how people are getting music. Like, we had a limited budget in the 90s. Like you could, you know, you had the radio, but you were spending, you had a finite amount of money and a finite amount of albums that you could buy. So you kind of had to pick. And, you know, even, you know, whether that was, you know, what your friends were listening to or what you, what you most strongly identified with, I think that's why you kind of maybe had that, that kind of strong identity because, you know, I only had, let's say, 15 bucks a month to spend on, you know, 15 bucks every two weeks to spend on an album. So I couldn't, you know, I had to limit it to the one I really, really wanted. And, you know, if that was the Canadian rock band, whatever put out, Canadian all-rock anti-guitar of the week, then that's what I got. But now... This, this, in, in a more streaming, liberalized kind of streaming era, you don't kind of, you don't have that, that, that limitation. You don't have that um, that, that, that idea of scarcity. You don't have those finite resources. You can listen to anything and everything. And you know, I, I just you know, I don't know. I just feel like maybe that's fueled kind of that you know dissipation of musical identity in a way because you don't have to choose between well, I'm a country guy versus I'm a 
I'm a pop music person when, you know, I can be a country guy who likes Luke Bryan and he's on the Grammys and there's Taylor Swift and she's kind of a country that melts into Kendrick Lamar and the guy in my class is Kendrick Lamar. And I think it's, you know, I don't necessarily think it's good or bad, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, how people experience music these days and I don't necessarily think there are any worse, at first, I don't think there are any worse off than we are, I just think they experience all of music in a different thing, and in a, in a, in a way too, music has become so much more, it, again, this is, you know, old man internet talk, it feels so much more commodified than it did when we were, you know, in our formative early to mid 90s years, right, you know, you can't, you know, you know, the biggest band, rock band for two and a half years was Nirvana. Can you imagine a, rock, a band of, like, can you imagine Nirvana existing at the plan of success that they had in 1992, 1993, a band like Nirvana would penetrate the marketplace enough, but I don't think it's because people would listen to them. I think it's because people wouldn't know they exist. Like, uh, like I think what made Nirvana special in terms of the cultural impact that they had was their ability to offer a, a, a pop sensibility in a punk aesthetic somewhat mm-hmm. i'm getting really like music criticish here that ran that ran entirely counter to the overproduced metal that was right. dominate and and whatever else was dominating the pop charts at the time power ballads and stuff like that but see but that was because <laughs> but again i think that was because that the cultural focus of music was so much more uh it was so much broader it was so much more important and i feel like the opposite of what you feel to some degree i feel like um you're you're right in the in the commodification aspect of music but i think what that's actually led to is a situation where people don't feel like listening to music is an important part of the cultural experience unless they are doing it uh, at a club. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I think about, like, classic rock. Like, fi- 538.com has done some stuff on this. Like, what's on the classic rock stations? It's basically uh-huh. the same stuff that's been on the classic rock stations for 30 years now. Right. Um, you know, it's like, there's there's very little penetration of music right now into the... Um, you know the, the 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 pop culture aesthetic. Like it's all it's either you know Max Martin you know produced and written type of, of stuff that is very interchangeable and is you know this kind of weird genre bending thing, or or it's not there at all. Like you know you know I I, I have Sirius XM or whatever and and you know in the in the in the vehicle and I. I listen to some of the stations, and there's a couple of stations that will play mixes of old and new stuff. But even even some of the ones that 
even some of the songs that you would think would penetrate that, they generally don't. And I don't know. I just, I look at it and I hope I'm wrong, but I look at it and I say to myself, you know, the, the, the average college age kid right now is probably not experiencing much beyond what they hear at the bar. And I just don't feel like that was the case before. You're right. Maybe they're, Maybe they're list, they're watching stuff on YouTube, but they're probably watching videos of those songs. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. know. And, you know, I, I, my, my gut, gut tells, tells me the opposite, opposite but, you know, last thing I, I want to be is, you know, you know, know the, the, the fake cool professor talking about um, bands that he's heard students talking about. I mean, to get, just get back to Nirvana, because they were really a formative band for me in terms of my musical taste. Um you know, in, in, in the great Pearl Jammer Nirvana kind of Beatles of Stones of the 90s, I was Team Nirvana 100% on that one. And that's no slam on Pearl Jam. They're fabulous. Their longevity is great. I was always, you know, Nirvana was such a formative band for me. And I think it was just looking back at Nirvana and looking back at that album, especially, um, especially never mind the, first, the, the second one, the one with Teen Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know, what was stunning to me is not just that they broke through, but that they broke through that sound, and what they, what they did that's so remarkable is they made the mainstream shift to them. And by them, it brought the spotlight to open up for Pearl Jam to become more, you know, the band that they were, Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden. And, you know, you can go down the, 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 the line of, the, of those great, you know, Mud Honey and, and those great Seattle bands that all started to kind of get more attention and kind of kick off that 90s. All crazy. And that's really the powerful thing about Nirvana. It's not just that they, be, you know, they became popular, but they kind of shifted what was popular music back then. Yeah, although, you know, what I, uh, what, one of the things I always like to remind people when they, and I was also, I was certainly uh, more of a Nirvana fan, um, you know, but it's interesting because, like, most people don't realize this, but 10 by Pearl Jam actually preceded Nevermind uh, by, right. by, by, by a, like, a solid month. Okay, that's right, yeah. Um, which, which I think is hilarious, uh, you know, because everybody has this image that Nevermind hit and then everything else kind of came after but you know um uh, there's you know it's also interesting because if you listen to pearl jam and you listen to nirvana they don't sound anything like each other not at all it was it was the whole and Soundgarden sounds nothing like either of them right uh you know pearl jam sounds like a 70s rock band with a Mm -hmm. different type of singer Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, but, but every, because we have to categorize everything, they all kind of got thrown into the same heap. Um, but I get what you're saying. And I just, I feel like we've, we've hit a level of, of over, over siloization. That's, that's a weird way of putting it, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying. You know, it's like everything, because there are, because there's no, to some degree, it's kind of like, uh, you know, writing these days. Like if you're a book writer, it's like because they're, everything's digital and because the major companies aren't willing to invest the sort of money that they were used to, uh, they, they used to be willing to invest in marketing and uh, advancement of, of artists, what you end up with is a situation where it's very difficult for bands to break beyond a certain point. Um, you know, so it's like, 
you'll get a, a band like Mumford and Sons, for instance, that breaks through and becomes like a, an international smash. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, because they feel compelled to change their sound, they end up sounding a lot like everybody else. Right, right. now, now there's just another cold play. Play. I, I remember... I was, I was into, into that for the first two Mumford and Sons albums. albums. I, I saw them live. They put on a fantastic show. show. Um, they, they were, were kind of the gateway drug into a lot of the, the stuff I listen to now. Um, but then they, 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 yeah, they changed their sound. Now they, they, they just sound like Coldplay to me. Like they, they sound, sound like a, a kind, kind of a poor man's kind of Coldplay, Verve, that kind of kind of generic Snow Patrol. As the band, I think it's Verve's album. I say the Verve is hardly derivative. No, no, no. The Verve is. We can do a whole show on underrated songs. Songs, bands, and albums, and then the verb would be on the top of my list for that one. Um, so, um, all right, so we're, we're coming up on an hour here. Um, the idea I had, too, is I, inspired by you, I created a mix on Spotify as well. Um, I, I'm thinking that for maybe, I don't know, make this a regular thing or some regular thing, we share the we share the links to our mixes, most recent mix in the show notes, and let people kind of know, discover kind of what we're listening to, that kind of thing. And if and if and if they if they listen to the mixes while drinking the beer, uh, that we also I think you've been putting that in the in the listing yes. as well. Then I mean that's like the full flip side experience. It, right? it really is the full flip side experience. Okay, so I will put, will put the link to uh, I'll, I'll do a Doctor C G sound mix one. Yes. Um, let's see. I'm looking at this right now. It's a wonderful mix. Anything on here? Oh, you have, you have sonnet by the sonnet by the verb. Oh, yeah. We're gonna have to have a whole. We're gonna have to have a whole episode about that That is one of my absolute favorites. It's funny. My my. Uh, I remember my wife and I were driving up to Chicago for. Uh, we were going to visit some people around Thanksgiving last year. And she had never heard that album. And I, tur- I, put, I turn it on, and Bittersweet Symphony pops on, and she's like, you know, oh, okay. Right. And, and then we listen to the whole album. She's like, why have I never heard this before? This is actually exactly. really good. And I'm like, yeah, well, you weren't the only one. It's like, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah, is, is, you know, is an absolute great album. Okay, so looking at, looking at, your, at Sound Mix 1, any, like, one or two songs or artists... You know, you know, obviously, obviously you have the obscure Rolling Stones, Stones on here, and obscure Led Zeppelin. Anybody else on here that, that maybe you, you want a song or something you want to give a shout out to that maybe you want people to make sure they listen to, or yeah. you know, something, something that you, you, you okay. just really love that maybe a lot of people don't. Oh geez. Well, let me let me call it up here. Um, I would say um, if I had to if I had to give a shout out to a song on here that I wanted to make, I'll I'll I'll, I'll say two of them. Um, one of them is uh, is uh, Cemetery Row, which is which is okay. So the minus five is actually Scott McCoy's solo project. Okay. Uh, you know Scott McCoy, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the backup guitarist for REM. But yeah. that that song is actually sung, and I can't remember the dude's name, but the guy, the lead singer for um, the uh, Decemberists. Nice. Uh, it's a and it's actually it's a really good song. It's. Uh, that's a great album, and like that's one of my favorite albums of all time. It's it's, but it's like no one heard it because it was by an obscure indie group, basically. But that's that one's worth listening to. Uh, I think they're all worth listening to, but that one in particular, I would say check out. Um, the other one, oh god, um, if you want to freak out a little bit, listen to Computer Age by Neil Young. Um, it's it is it is Neil Young using a vocoder. Huh. It was off of his 1982 album Trans, um, which 
uh, has has been like was pilloried by critics because they didn't understand it. It's actually it's it's a really melodic song. It's got like a really heavy like Stones like guitar riff go, running through it, and the lyrics are actually really quite compelling if you understand what they're about, which uh-huh. is him singing to his son who is just discovered is. Uh, has got cerebral palsy and basically is nonverbal. Um, so, it, but like it's buried under a lot of stuff. So it's a, it's a very interesting sort of song. But I, I highly recommend that. That's one of those Neil Young songs that nobody really knows exists. All right. So, so I have, have a, the mix I'll be sharing. sharing it's called Moritz Mix 1.0. 1.0. Um, okay. But it's about an hour long, kind of like, like yours. Two songs that I will recommend off of this one are the first two listed. The first is Marianne by a band called Buffalo Stack. Uh, Buffalo Stack is, they are kind of a, they're a blues rock band, they're based out of Beacon, New York, down, down closer to New York City. Uh, lead singer Andy Stack, we happened to see him play, uh, up here, up near Buffalo, uh, earlier last year, and just a remarkable, remarkable guitar player, remarkable singer, remarkable songwriter, um, just really, really, very much, uh, in the middle of, when, when I, I hear, hear that, I hear him, I hear, him, I hear a lot of uh, Tedeschi Truck Band. Yep. Um, and just really, you know, if, if that's the kind of music you're into, I think that's, that's uh, a very good song, a very good starting place for him. And the second song, Ron Hawkins, Peace and Quiet. Uh, this is from his band, The Duke Assassins. Um, Ron Hawkins, who our friend Hal Walsh will probably recognize as well. Um, Canadian singer, songwriter, uh, was the... Uh, Frontman of a band in the early to mid-90s, the lowest of the low. Uh, just kind of one of those legendary Toronto bar bands that was really on the cusp of becoming, kind of hitting a mainstream thing, and then the band imploded. Uh, and he has been just a very working-class musician, rock, indie rock musician for a lot of years. And we saw, my sister and I would see him play clubs in Buffalo, solo with uh, one of his many bands, and you know, just a, a very kind of soaring type ballad, um, not in a winger kind of way, but like in a, a very kind of heartfelt song. And, and what's interesting, too, if you as a hockey fan, uh, this song, Peace and Quiet, this is actually used by the Maple Leafs in their intro video. And if you Google it, you can, I think it's on YouTube or Vimeo, the, 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 the song and the video. It's a remarkable video. They, they show a ton of archival footage, of the leaves of past winds. And what's remarkable about, remarkable about me is that it's a very melancholic song, and like the, the, this is the team video, and they show fans with bags over their heads recently. And it's very much, you know, you know, very honest look at a team that has been very bad for a lot, a lot of years. It's not the usual kind of, you know, go team, we're the best team ever. Um, it's very, it's, you know, you know, in terms of, Sports team videos, it's remarkable. It's a really, really, really great song. So those are the two that I would uh, highly recommend out of out of this list. I mean, they're all you know, I'm a fan of all everything on here. And uh, so I will put these links in the show notes. They will be at sportsmediaguide.com. Click on the flip side tab for episode 13, and they should come through on when you have subscribed to this. When you get it on whatever, however you get your podcast, it should be here too. So. Awesome. Uh, one last thing before we break up. I feel like I, I'm, I'm duty-bound to mention this. Uh, did you see the Donald Trump thing today? Oh, about Joe Paterno? Yes. Uh, oh. So for those who didn't see it, <laughs> Trump is speaking uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, 
and this was the quote. I know a lot about Pennsylvania, and it's great. How's Joe Paterno? We're going to bring that back, right? How about that whole deal? Um, so, so, so Donald Trump's, Trump's platform, platform is now um, getting into zombies or raising the dead. I think maybe, I, 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 maybe it's maybe maybe he's a resurrection man. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's. Uh, it's well, a, I, I will say this: if Donald Trump can bring somebody back from the dead, I'm going to vote for him. Okay, I don't oh. care about the policies or whatever. If he if he if he, if he brings somebody back to life. I will go ahead and cast my vote in his favor. I mean, what's, fun, what's funny about that clip, I'm getting a little feedback here. Um, what's funny about that clip is that you, you hear the room in Pennsylvania, and even the room in Pennsylvania is like, oh. Like, yeah, like even there, like, like guys, too soon. But, um, I, you know, if he has resurrection powers and he's using it on Joe Paterno, no disrespect to Joe Paterno and the career he had and what he did to the university, but that's who you start with. Yeah, no, that's true. There's, there's other people you could go with. You would think he would go there. So, um, all right. Well, um, we're fading out here, so we'll fade out on your end as well. But uh, good chatting with you as always. As always, uh, stay online for the week, and we will talk to you guys next week. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody.